This is a Queens-bound M train via the E-Line. The next stop is 23rd Street. Is she okay? Blood clots don't wait for the right time. They never discern the when, the where, or the who. Ma'am? They just strike, indiscriminately. Every six minutes, somebody in America dies of a blood clot. We're here to change that statistic. Welcome to Taking a Breath, a Stop the Clot podcast. A podcast dedicated to bringing awareness of the dangers of blood clots from the clotting disorders community to the world. With the help of many notable blood clot survivors, we are here to give you the knowledge and the skills you need to prevent this silent killer. My name is Leslie Lake. I am the president of the National Blood Clot Alliance, and I am a blood clot survivor. And my name is Todd Robertson. I'm the patient engagement liaison for the National Blood Clot Alliance, and I am a six-time blood clot survivor. And we're here to stop the clot. Oftentimes, advocacy begins with vulnerability. Hearing the stories of those who struggled before you sheds insight to the overlooked symptoms, common occurrences, and vibrant victories like a light at the end of a horizonless tunnel. Our guest today is someone whose advocacy shines like a beacon of hope for the clotting community of tomorrow. Please join me in welcoming attorney, mother, and patient advocate the endlessly amiable and forever inspiring Tracy Wilt-Smith. My journey with blood clots began um, when I was 25 years old. Uh, I had just um, finished law school and started working in uh, New York City as a young associate. I was working long hours. I was commuting by train into New York City from New Jersey at the time. And um, I started to feel not like myself. At 25, when you're supposed to be healthy and you know active and on the move and, and ready to go with your, your new career and inspired by you know all the big things that are coming, uh, my health started to decline. And it happened unexpectedly, obviously, and, and slowly. But then again, it, it, it caught me off guard. So I remember pretty vividly, even to this day, uh, trying to walk up the steps in the train station in New York City. And I remember after a short while, I started to be out of breath. I'd be a couple steps in and you know, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe, and I, I had a difficulty, you know, getting to the top of the steps in the, in the train station. And when it's a hot summer afternoon in New York City and you can't get to the top of the train steps, that, that's a problem at 25 years old. So that started happening. I had difficulty breathing, um, difficulty, you know, walking, um, started to get some pain in my, my thigh, that was completely, you know, out of like, I wasn't like active. I wasn't doing anything except working at the time. So that was surprising. 
So what happened was I, I, that summer I went to a couple of doctors and I had some tests and the tests that they, they did on me were some tests for an, like an ultrasound. And that was completely, you know, not necessary because my symptoms were in my leg. And then another doctor said, Hey, you potentially have a muscle strain uh, in your leg. And they prescribed some medicine for that, which I took hoping that the pain would go away, but it didn't. So I spent, um, you know, the, that summer in pain in my thigh and um, I was, you know, unable to work. You know, it became a, a big issue for me because I was, I was suffering. By the fall that year, that same year, I wound up traveling to my aunt's house and she lived in Florida. So I figured, you know what, this is a good time to a good place to go and rest and, and relax. And I get to Florida and I wind up spending my entire time there literally laying on the floor and trying to get comfortable because my back was hurting me. So, you know, now I'm, I'm faced with some new symptoms that I can't even imagine. Uh, and they were just as scary and just as painful. I flew back from Florida I got back up to New York and, and I was, you know, trying to work and trying to be the best I can. I remember that one day when I was walking with groceries in, in the city, I had these bags and I couldn't carry the bags. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was just like, I can't even carry groceries anymore. I like, this is, this is not right. So I went back to the ER and uh, I tried to, you know, explain my symptoms and what was happening. And I felt like I got brushed off. There were no answers for me. So a couple more weeks went by and the holidays came and I'm, you know, now getting more concerned. My family's nervous about, you know, my declining health. And I, you know, fast forward Christmas, I wound up laying up, you know, in my bed at the time and I couldn't sleep flat, like, like fully back. When I did that, I found it even more troubling to, to breathe. And so I sat up all night and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm literally taking my last breath. So I, I got to go back, got to try again and, and go to, you know, the ER and, and, and see if there's going to be some, something else, you know, to solve this. I called my mother and I said, mom, please, you know, help me take me to the ER. And we went together and this visit was, was different. We wound up speaking with um, a pulmonary doctor, somebody that treats the lungs in particular. And he asked me about my, my health history. He asked me about anything that I could tell him about, you know, how my my grandparents had, you know, maybe passed away. And my grandfather actually had passed away from blood clot. He asked me about my, my parents. And I said, hey, my, my father actually suffers from blood clot. And so it was almost like, you know, the, everything changed in that moment because right away he said, hey, Let's, I want you to have a test. Um, and so I went and had another test. This test fortunately showed that I had blood clots in my, in my stomach. I was in the hospital for two weeks and the blood clots were in my abdomen and they also traveled to both of my lungs on the right and left side. So they were really large. I was on a blood thinner in the hospital and um, I wound up getting out of the hospital after those two weeks. And, and then I was home for almost a year recovering. I stopped working. 
I just really wanted to decide what I wanted to do next and just had to rebuild myself physically. It took a while. It was, um, I was very lucky to have support with my family, but I was definitely in a time where uh, my body wasn't the 25-year-old, you know, healthy body. And, and so my lungs needed to repair. I needed to be able to learn, you know, how to sit up and without feeling as though I have pressure and compression in my lungs. And then also my leg and my abdomen had a lot of um, just, you know, discomfort for all that time. So it took a while to for that to get better as well. Then my, you know, my journey, you know, continued with me starting to build a community within the blood clot space. And so I reached out to the National Blood Clot Alliance um, and got really active. I started to, you know, really take on this, this cause because I felt as though, you know, I, I almost died and I was suffering way too long. And because I didn't fit the profile of somebody that, you know, might have a blood clot, I think I was misdiagnosed. You know, I just became a patient advocate and got really heavily involved with the organization. You know, with that journey, it gave me a lot of information and understanding about the signs and symptoms of blood clots. And I really wish I had known, um, you know, that information before because, you know, obviously I'm alive, but I, I could have gone the either, way, you know, the other way. So, um, and that scares me to say that now, but it's it's just the truth. So, um, you know, I, I, I did that for a good number of years, a couple of years, and and then I wound up, um, you know, getting into my, my career as a, a media. And then fortunately, I got married and, and ha- I have, now I have two kids. And so it's been quite a journey, especially with um, having children and being a blood clotter. Uh, so I had to, yeah, I, I, there were there was a lot of planning and conversations with uh, my doctors um, in order to prevent blood clots. And, you know, that journey was really, both times was, you know, really difficult and challenging, but uh, obviously worth it in the end. I, I just like to share my story and, and um, you know, be as supportive um, to any other family that, you know, lost a loved one because of blood clots, because, you know, it's affected me my entire life. I've been saved and, um, you know, I'm thankful for that every day. And if I can, you know, extend my time and energy to a family that's suffering, then I'm here to do that. So there are tough conversations and tough moments, but, you know, everybody needs support in life. And, you know, I was able to find support in this community during my difficult times. And I want to be just as supportive to others who are going through this and through the pain um, of either surviving a blood clot or, you know, obviously having a loss. But really does, you know, help your mental state to be around others that understand. And so for me, it's been very, you know, rewarding. I think that the key here is understanding and being aware of signs and symptoms. I am very familiar with my body. I'm very familiar with the signs. Um, you know, when a blood clot travels to my lungs, I know how what that feels like. And so, um, you know, being that aware of, you know, what it feels like to have a blood clot in my leg or have a blood clot in my lung, I think that gives me more peace. Um, and I'm able to, you know, know that confidently that 
if I have a blood clot, I'm, I know what to do, you know, but you know, obviously like I still get nervous and I, you know, it's not a good feeling, you know, um, and it's a concern and, you know, there's still it, the, the, the blood clot could, you know, take my life. And so, you know, I just have to be, um, mindful. So I, I, am a very positive person. I understand my blessings. I, I walk with that. Um, and then I'm also, I try to be aware and self-aware and I think that helps me and, and gives me peace in this journey. Um, because there's so many, uh, various obstacles in life and challenges, health challenges that come up, um, as you age. And so, um, you know, and so I'm, I, I just have to say, listen, I'm thankful for another day and, you know, hopefully, you know, not going to, you know, not going to take me away and, um, and, and stay in that mindset. And that really helps me get through. Some people sneeze when they take in sunlight. Some people have a genetic predisposition to certain types of cancer. Like all other genetic inheritance, someone's susceptibility to a clotting disorder is no different. With us to discuss the differences between genetic predisposition for clotting and trauma-induced clotting, here is Dr. Elliot Hout. So one of the uh, risk factors for blood clots of all types are genetically inherited factors. So there's something in an individual person's DNA that's an abnormality that puts them at higher risk. Patients can have, because of the way genes work, you can have one copy of the bad gene or two copies of the bad gene. So a normal person with zero copies has the lowest risk. A person with one copy of the bad gene has a little higher risk. And a person with two copies of the gene, they're called homozygous, they have the highest risk um, from this inherited risk factor. So those patients, it's not that you're always 100% of the time going to get a blood clot if you have these risk factors, but it increases your chance of getting a blood clot exponentially. So it's really important for us to try to figure out, is that the reason a person had a blood clot or is it related to something else? We call these either provoked or unprovoked. So if you crash your car, you come to the hospital, you have a really severe injury and you get a blood clot related to it. We would call that a provoked blood clot. We would treat you for a certain amount of time and then stop your blood thinner therapy uh, after a certain period of time, and you might not need it forever. That's different than an unprovoked where you just come in, your first sign or symptom is a big swollen leg or shortness of breath. You come into the emergency department and you're diagnosed with one of these blood clots, either a DVT or PE. If we can't figure out a reason, then we would call that unprovoked and we might treat that differently. So some people would push to always do genetic testing. Other people would say, you don't need to do genetic testing. Some people would say, we treat for a period of time. Uh, and you know the standard therapy used to be six months. Now maybe you can do three months, but you treat for a period of time with a blood thinner. And then um, you might wanna you know, recheck and make sure the deep vein thrombosis is gone. And then you could stop that blood thinner and see how people do. That's certainly a reasonable approach. The other option is you might need to be on a blood thinner for life. And this is where the concept of shared decision-making ends up really, really important. So this is where a patient would want to talk to their doctor and figure out what's the risk for them. What's my risk of developing another blood clot versus my risk of staying on these blood thinners? These blood thinners are not benign and they put you at bleeding risk for other things. You're at higher risk of bleeding after injury. You're at higher risk of 
having a spontaneous bleed or where some bleeding starts when it's not supposed to. So putting somebody onto one of these blood thinners forever has some risk with it. But then there's also this risk, if we take you off, you might have another blood clot. So that's why it's really important to talk to your doctor and try to figure out what's the risk of A versus B, which risks would you prefer? Why do you think those risks, like what are your individual risk factors for another blood clot? Or what are your risk factors for having a bleeding related complication? And that's where you're gonna have to decide as an individual patient, what's the best thing for me? Tracy, 25 years old, you have gone to the ER a couple times, like you had the fortitude to keep going back. A lot of people don't. It's a really hard thing to do to advocate for yourself. So I want to ask you, you know, what can you share with the audience, women in particular, but Black women even more so? How do you help people advocate for themselves? Listen, that's what a question. And, you know, thank you for asking it. What I would say is I would say, listen, continue to fight for yourself and, um, you know, continue to believe that you should be here and that you're, you matter um, and that you're loved. And even if the institutions might be brushing you away a little bit, you know, know that. So, you know, I was, you know, fortunate to have access to healthcare. Not everybody is. And I think that's a really big problem with the institutions um, are not accessible to everybody. That wasn't my journey, but I made sure that I use the healthcare system that are, you know, I have, in, in, you know, that I'm accessible to. And so, you know, whatever you can do, whatever doctors um, are, you know, you're familiar with, that are your friends, you know, that are in your community, that you can speak with, that you can ask questions to, do so, right? If there's a, a doctor of color that you know, that you feel more comfortable speaking with about some of the symptoms you might have, do so. Ask that doctor, you know, call that on that person, call on the community nurse, call on the community um, health advocate. My say is don't give up, fight for your health and to be seen sometime in life. And that's just, this is what it is. Otherwise it can go anyway. So you have factor five Leiden and you got tested. Uh, it came back, obviously. You, you learned a lot about the results and the impact that it has on blood clots. How did that make you feel? And what do you do with that information? We hear a lot from patients. Um, they want to be tested, but physicians don't want to test them. So how did you kind of reconcile getting tested with the results, like how do you deal with that within your own family, I guess, first and foremost. And then for patients who do want to be tested, but kind of get brushed off again, what do you say to them? So I have a gene that um, I inherited from my grandfather and, and my father that I, you know, I clot more than others, right? So um, it explained a lot. And with that information, fast forward, you know, 20 years I've been able to make better decisions, you know, about, you know, how do I handle childbirth? You know, how do I handle any other surgeries that I have to live, um, have? Because I know that I clot more than others and it's, it's genetic. I'm glad I have that information. 
And I would want others to be able to, to do the same, you know, to be able to get those, that test. So they have the information so that they can hopefully make, you know, sound decisions, you know, with their life, you know, should I be on blood clot, you know, thinner? Should I be on blood thinners the rest of my life? Well, since I know that, you know, I can clot more than others, then the answer is yes. Most likely I should be. Uh, without that information, you're kind of in the blind in life. So I would say, please, you know, it's a call to action to, um, you know, have that accessible for everybody to be able to get, you know, genetic tests to see, you know, where they land. So much so that I went ahead and, uh, and had my children tested to see if they um, are clotters at a, at a young age. I was very, very keen on doing that and, uh, you know, focused um, on, you know, asking their pediatricians to, to do that test. And I will do so again because it's going to matter. Tracy, I want to thank you for joining us today. Your personal story is amazing. It was riveting. And we know that it takes a lot of courage to share it. Um, but by sharing your story, we also know that you're going to save a lot of lives. So thank you for coming today. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. It's been um, such a great conversation. And I really have, you know, appreciate you having me here today. It cannot be overstated the importance of communication when dealing with blood clots. From previously unseen symptoms to the genetic likelihood of certain diseases to bestowing tools to those at the beginning of their clotting journey, so much of your power in this fight comes from a conversation. When we speak up, we save lives, sometimes even our own. We want to thank Tracy for sharing her story with us today and to thank you for joining us here on Taking a Breath. A special thank you to Dr. Elliot Hout from Johns Hopkins for sharing his endlessly useful insight into all things clotting. For more information on risk, prevention, and community, please visit StopTheClot.org. We know the patient because we are the patient. Together with listeners like you, we can collectively stop the clot. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Patterson Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.